Well, today we're continuing a little series here that we've called What's on My Heart, and we are normally diving into deep topics. Don't worry, this isn't going to be fluff. Um, But we dive into a a book of the Bible, and we go verse by verse, or we really try to investigate a topic um, that we feel is important. Um, But for a few weeks, Pastor Mark, Pastor Paul, and myself, we're taking some time, and we're just saying, here's what's on my heart. Here's the things that I feel either God needs to tell the church or God has really been speaking to me about um, and thus also can be applicable for the church. Um, And so we're taking that time to see what God might be stirring for us and our church family. Um, Because if if you're like me, you want to grow in your spiritual walk, right? So I appreciate what Pastor Paul spoke about and, and just hope waits a few weeks ago. And Pastor Mark talked about Noah and being such a man of integrity in in a time that was so wicked and and troubling. And so for me, this all starts while I was on sabbatical this summer. And I felt that I was supposed to spend my time away from here looking at the gospel of Matthew. And don't worry, we're not going to go through the whole gospel of Matthew Although, if I do this, what does this mean? Wow, okay, so we're, Joseph, yes. If I do this, Deborah, okay. So for those of you who were here last week, that's the quick refresher. So I'm going into Matthew. We didn't even talk about Matthew last week. We're going to go there this week. Um, And as I went into my sabbatical, I didn't know exactly why I was supposed to look at the Gospel of Matthew other than I wanted to really spend time looking at the life of Jesus. I mean, as a believer, that's a good thing. Look at his life, see how we can learn from him. And so I don't know why I chose Matthew, because most people, you'd go to Mark. That's 16 chapters. Let me go to Matthew, the longest one with 28 chapters, and try to just soak it all in. So that was where I started. And day after day, I would just read and reread the gospel. Um, sometimes it would be, I would be able to get all of it in. Sometimes it would just be a part. And it was a time for me to just spend in the word. And what a, a, a privilege it was to be able to do that. As I did so, I began to notice various topics or themes that just were popping up throughout Matthew's account of Jesus' life. There were things that were becoming visible to me. Um, I noticed things like the kingdom of heaven. And just how Jesus talked about that over and over. Or his care for hurting individuals. Just throughout the gospel, you'd see him just interacting with people where they were at. Or his teaching about living in alignment with God's heart, not simply following the letter of the law. Which was a a common thing back there. But for me, the topic that has come out of this, and it's been on my heart for the last few months, is the topic of forgiveness. And the topic of forgiveness pops up for me, all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus told multiple parables about this concept and the importance of forgiveness. He talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount a few times throughout the whole thing. In fact, after he teaches his disciples to pray in what we know as the Lord's Prayer, the very next statement he makes is about forgiveness. He says in Matthew six fourteen and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I read that and I think to myself, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, we hold the Lord's Prayer as a key pivotal piece of our faith and, and the doctrine. And so if the thing's right after that, he's saying, forgive. And the Father will forgive you. And if you don't, the Father won't forgive you. So I noticed that this is a big deal in my study of Matthew, and I begin, began to reflect on where I need to work on forgiveness. You know, you, you do that self-check. Where am I? And you see, a number of years ago, I had some people who had been very key people in my life do some things that were very devastating to me. What they did caused me a lot of hurt, a lot of emotional pain, a lot of questioning, wondering, and, and just feeling that pain so deeply. Their actions, in a sense, caused certain areas of my life to be turned upside down. They did things that I never, ever imagined they could do. Not in a million years. And I had to begin to deal with that because I felt like I was blindsided. I never saw it coming. Never thought that that would happen. And it did. So I had to begin to work through that. So in studying Matthew, the Holy Spirit illuminated to me that forgiveness is still an area that I need to keep working on. And I'm continuing to dig into this topic little by little. Um, it wasn't just for sabbatical. It's something that I am working on still. And I'll confess to you from the outset that I don't have it all figured out. But it is something that I'm working on. And I want to share some of what the Lord has been showing to me. And again, from the outset, I want to just say, this is a big topic. I'm not going to take all day to try to figure it out. We have about 30 minutes or so um, <laughs> to try to, to work through this. So I know that I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface in some ways, and there are going to be a lot of what-ifs. But what about this? What if that, what, 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 what? So I understand that, and I, I'll say this. If you want to talk later, <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it. And again, I don't have all the answers, but these are just some of the things that the Lord has been showing me. So I want us to take our Bibles and let's turn, or if you want, scroll to Matthew chapter 18. As I said, I spent a couple months just going through Matthew, so that's where we're going to go. Matthew 18. And we're going to start by looking at a parable that Jesus told regarding forgiveness. So we're going to start at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we see in this passage that Peter asks Jesus how many times a person needs to forgive someone who has wronged him before he can just write them off. Is it just seven times? Lord, that's even more than what tradition is telling us. So if I forgive them seven times, I've fulfilled my duty, right? And Jesus responds that extending forgiveness is limitless. That tallies are not to be kept. And so to emphasize this, he tells the parable that we just read. And just to recap a few things, he tells about a king who had a servant who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, there are a variety of thoughts about how much a talent is worth. Some believe that a talent would equate to an ordinary working man's wage for one year. That's a whole chunk of change. Some think that a talent would be even up to 15 or 20 years wages. Again, that's an even huger chunk of change. But if we use an assumption that an average working class job earns about $40,000 per year, Per year, and then use the assumption that a talent equals one year's wages, and then a debt of 10,000 talents would equate to $400 million. That's a big debt. I won't even come anywhere near seeing anything in my entire lifetime near $400 million. But to think, that was the servant's debt to the king. Imagine, it's unfathomable, that amount of money, on a personal level especially. $400 million. And then we see later on in this parable, another amount is discussed. A fellow servant owes this first servant 100 denarii. Now, most believe that a denarii equated to one day's wages for a working man. So, If we use our $40,000 amount per year, that would equate to roughly $150 a day. Again, if we do the math, the second servant owes the first servant about $15,000. Finances are fun. (laughs) That's why we created the math slides. And Jesus uses these two amounts to show the, the huge contrast in, in the debts that were owed. So let's put up that next slide that shows you're looking at $400 million versus $15,000. I don't know about you. I'll take the $15,000 debt any day over $400 million. 
as the parable goes, the king wants to settle up the accounts and he calls for the servant to repay this gargantuan debt. Dude, I don't know how this happened, but you owe me $400 million. We need to get this straight now. You're going to go to jail. Your wife, your kids are going to be sold. You're going to work it off. Not that you're ever going to work it off, but you're going to start working. And I, I can only imagine the guy just like probably falls beyond his knees, like face down. For, help me have patience with me. I will repay everything. Okay, that statement alone says a lot. I will repay $400 million. Not likely. Those things had to be accounted for. Those things had to be addressed. And the king brings the servant in front of him. He addresses this debt that the servant owes him. And upon hearing the pleas, upon hearing like his dire situation and realizing just that he has no way to repay, he takes pity on him. And he forgives him the debt. And he, in forgiving him, does something that I want us to consider today. The amount that was owed did not simply vanish. Okay? So the $400 million that went somewhere that was now owed, so again, finances are fun. They're on his books. The king has them on his books as a $400 million receivable that I should be getting at some point. By saying... I forgive you, sir, of that $400 million. That $400 million is still on the book. Something has to be done with it. He writes it off, but in doing so, he absorbs that cost. He takes that loss and that penalty that needed to be taken. He took it upon himself and said, you're forgiven. It's gone. The king restored the man back to a position in doing so. After absorbing that debt, he treats him no longer as a debtor and someone who has offended him or anything like that. And he now restores him to a position of being a citizen and a servant in his household again. He puts him back to that position that he had before all of that took place. Unfortunately, the servant does not go out and do likewise he does not treat his fellow servant with the same kind of mercy. He demands to be repaid what he's owed. And even though his fellow servant begs and pleads for more time, just like he did a few moments earlier, he ignores his pleas. He throws his fellow servant in prison and expects him to pay off the debt. And the king is informed of his actions. And he brings the servant back in and says, Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. I think that's the bottom line of the parable. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? So here's the big takeaway I think that we have for today. And if you remember one thing from today, I urge you to remember this. God's forgiveness of us, his divine mercy toward us, should change our hearts so that we are able to forgive as he forgave us. And in this big takeaway, I see that there are three dimensions of forgiveness in a Christ-centered perspective. And in the rest of our time this morning, let's unpack those three dimensions. 
The first dimension is a vertical dimension, dimension going up and down. Not Moses, it's just going up and down, okay? And it represents God's forgiveness to us. The parable Jesus told tells the accurate chain of events. The king extends forgiveness first. He is owed a massive debt by a person who would never be able to repay it. Yet he takes pity on the man, he forgives the debt that is owed, and he restores him to a relationship of citizen and servant. And guess what? I think this part of the parable is our story. God, our sovereign king, the creator of the universe, the one who created you and I, has offered us forgiveness. Just as the king called in the servant and addressed the debt of 10,000 talents, God addressed the sin in our lives. And he continues to show it to us because he is loving and kind. Not because he wants to beat us with a hammer, but because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And that sin that we have committed has caused a break in our relationship with him. And we, like the servant, may say, I will repay you. I will work at it. I will do good. My good ultimately will outweigh my bad. I can make it right. But here's the reality. The debt is too great. It's too insurmountable for us. We have sinned. We have broken that relationship with God our Father. So he has taken pity on us as a result. He has seen our lowly, feeble position, seeing that we have no way to repay that debt or to make it right. So he's taken the action to forgive our debt. He's taken the action to forgive my debt. He's taken the action to forgive your debt. And in forgiving the debt, he had to absorb the cost of that. He had to take it upon himself because the cost of our sin, also known as the penalty of our sin, required death to make it right. So God absorbed that cost in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute to make it right. Isaiah 53, 5 explains it like this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Because of our sin, our debt, We should have been pierced. We should have been crushed. We should have been chastised and wounded. But Jesus was our perfect substitute to handle our debt. And because of Jesus' atoning work, God has released us from our debt. He said, the debt is gone. It's paid for. And as we choose to accept and receive that forgiveness, it is gone. He has absorbed that cost on his own. And he now says, go, be free. I'm restoring you to relationship with me. And the Apostle Peter tells us how to do just that, to accept that forgiveness that he has given. In Acts 2.38, he says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of Of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John echoes this in his letter of 1 John, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has offered it to us. We simply need to accept that, re- that, that debt right off that he's done on our behalf. And he gives us another blessing. He brings us to a place of restored relationship with him. Our sin caused that relationship to be severed, to be inadequate, to, to not be right. But he, in his plan and purpose of forgiveness, he has brought us to restored relationship where we can be reconciled with him. He and each one of us get brought back into that relationship. John 1.12 tells us, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26 echoes this, where Paul writes this amazing statement, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons, and I'll even put, and daughters, of God through faith. We all have that opportunity to once again be sons and daughters of the high God, the one who created us. God has offered forgiveness to us, and if we turn to him and repent and receive his offer of forgiveness, we receive that new identity. We are restored to relationship with him. And it is God's forgiveness of us, that vertical dimension, that leads us to the second dimension of forgiveness, which is internal forgiveness, the internal dimension. Here in this internal dimension, God's forgiveness of us should change our hearts so that we can grant forgiveness to those who have wronged us. This is what I would say an attitudinal forgiveness. It's the attitude that we heart, that posture that says, I'm going to forgive. As we reflect on the extreme and radical mercy that God has shown us, with respect to our debt of sin, we recognize that we should be responding in a similar fashion to those who have hurt us. They have caused damage to our lives, and we may feel that they owe us, yet we determine in our hearts to forgive them just as God forgave us. And we can follow a similar process that the king did in the parable. Just as the king brought the man before him and addressed and named the debt, it is right and appropriate to address the issue. It is proper to name the trespass, the wound, the hurt, in a truthful manner. Now, the key here is that we're going to try to do this not in a vengeful, malicious way, but with God's grace and love, we can say, okay, here's what you did to me. This is what hurt. This is what it has caused me to feel. And we begin to work through that. We address it as a wound that was wrongfully inflicted on you. And this can be extremely difficult to do, especially if you're like me, we prefer to handle confrontation by avoiding it. We won't ask for a show of hands, but yes, I'm, I'm one of those. I would prefer to avoid it, yet it is important to address. I'm learning this. This is like... If you want me to wig out, this would be one of those ways. Like, I have to address an issue? Okay. There might be like 40 days of fasting and prayer beforehand. <laughs> like, oh, no. But it is important. And I, there is such healing that can come out of just addressing the issue in that process of forgiveness. To say, this is what has happened. 
This is how it hurt me. This is the impact that it is having on my life. Has had, is having, may have in the future. It's important to address it. Don't just excuse it. Don't just sweep it under the rug. Ah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Some of these things are big deals that you're trying to just sweep under the rug and you don't have enough rug for. And addressing it, it may be done with the perpetrator of the wound. But even if that's not possible, you may find that you can address it with the Lord so that he can bring healing to your heart. This is how I've been hurt. This is how I've been wounded. This is how I've been damaged. And it may, because there may not always be the opportunity to actually get with the person. They might now have moved on. They might be passed on. um, Any of those things. And as you begin to have those, you may discover, all right, I still need healing. I need to work through this process of healing. So bringing it to the Lord also can help in that process. So that's kind of that first part. Next, as the king took pity on the servant, we then purpose in our hearts to do the same toward the one who has wounded us. And in this way, we identify our debtor as a fellow sinner rather than one who is so vastly different from us. So often we want to focus our attention on how bad that person is or how much he or she should suffer. I would never do anything like that. How could someone? I'm guilty. I wish I could say I wasn't, but I'm guilty. Probably still am often. But to work through that and take those steps to recognize our wounder is just another human like I am. He or she is a sinner just like I am. They have fears, they have griefs, they have things that they're dealing with, just like I have fears and griefs and things that I'm dealing with. And we don't always handle them in the best way. Third thing would be, just as the king forgave the servant's debt and absorbed that cost of the debt, we forgive the debt to us and we absorb the cost of that debt that we may feel that we're owed through the grace and strength of the Lord. When we are wounded by someone, everything within us wants to make them suffer. You you bruised my shin, I'm going to come after you, I'm going to burn your house down and pillage your sheep. You know, we, we have that attitude where, you know, oh, it's just this little thing, I'm coming after you and I'm going to get you. We do that, (laughs) whether we like to admit it or not. (laughs) I do that. We refuse, though, as we work through forgiveness, to have the attitude of wanting to make that person suffer for what they have done. And we release them from the liability by not seeking that revenge against them. In fact, and here's where the grace and strength of the Lord comes into play, we do quite the opposite of that. We begin to will for their good. For when you remain angry or in a mode of avoidance rather than forgiveness, you actually allow their actions to imprison you 
and to continue to hurt him. Henry Nouwen, a Dutch priest, summarized it like this. By not forgiving, I chain myself to a desire to get even, thereby losing my freedom. That's a hard one. Instead of holding on to that hurt or bitterness, we release it and we find his freedom, his joy, his peace that only can come from him. Our situation is still there. It still may stink, but we can find his freedom and forgiveness. And earlier I mentioned that I had some people who had hurt me in a deep way. And I confess, for some time I had held and at times still hold on to that wound. I replayed it over and over and over. I've allowed it to have a strong grip on me in the past. And early on after it happened, I tried to address the debt that I felt that I was owed, or at least the issue. Unfortunately, I was only able to do it via email um, at that point in time, because that was the best way to communicate with them. And looking back at it, I couldn't find it in time for this. But I probably had a tinge of vengefulness, a little bit of uh, nasty spirit about me in writing that email. Um, But I was looking to say, here's what you've done. This is hurt. I can't believe you would do this. And at best, I received an apology that was pretty unrepentant. And if you've ever been in that kind of a situation, that makes this whole process that much harder. Like, couldn't they even just say, I'm sorry, and slightly mean it? So for a number of years, I had an attitude of just wanting to avoid them. Again, I'm the avoid guy. Okay? I don't like to hit things head on. um, So I wanted to just avoid them. I still had to interact with them. But it, w- it was going to be, in that time period, just to meet up with them only when it was necessary. Nothing more. I wasn't going to go out of my way to do anything. Um, I was just going to, like, yes, we're fellow humans on earth, but your ship's going that way, mine's going this way. Never shall we meet again. In many ways, that would have been a wonderful thing. That was how my heart was feeling. Thankfully, the Lord has been gracious to me and has been showing me a better way. And especially since the summer, he's been showing me that they are fellow sinners just like I am. Through the voice of the Holy Spirit, I am seeing that they are fellow humans. That they have struggles and fears and issues and griefs and on and on just like I do. It doesn't make what was done right but I can begin, I'll use the word, to have pity. Maybe a better word is I can just have an understanding, an empathy, a, a common ground that I can understand. I'm no better than them. They're not in a separate category or class from me. I'm not better than them. I still have my sins and such as I'm a co-sinner with them. We are co-humans. We all fall short of the glory of God. 
So rather than avoid and distance myself from them, I'm beginning to purpose in my heart to have more routine communication with them. It's still a struggle. It's still something that I'm working on. So I'm not standing up here as like, I got it all figured out. Come to me. I'm working on it. And in doing so, I begin to grant forgiveness bit by bit by bit. I'm starting to choose to will for their good even though I've been hurt. And to put a spin on a verse from Mark's gospel, I'll say this. I forgive. Lord, help my unforgiveness. I'm forgiving in this moment, but 20 minutes from now when it rears its ugly head again for some reason, I'm going to need to have help to forgive again. So Lord, help me to forgive and keep forgiving, especially on the hard days. And I do this even though some days I do this very imperfectly. But when we can have this attitude of forgiveness, this internal dimension where our heart is changing and we begin to grant forgiveness in our hearts, it leads to the third dimension, which is a horizontal dimension where we offer to reconcile. And this third dimension moves us towards that person who has wronged us and we throw out the offer to reconcile. And if we think back to the big takeaway we discussed earlier, we recall God's forgiveness of us should change our hearts so that we are able to forgive as he forgave us. His plan and his purpose in extending forgiveness to us of absorbing our debt was to have a reconciled relationship with us. So as we have our hearts changed by God's forgiveness to us, we begin to extend forgiveness to those who have wounded us, and we seek reconciliation where possible. The ultimate purpose of forgiveness from you to an individual is the restoration of community between you and that individual. Now let me interrupt or iterate this. This is not easy. But by God's great example toward us, we can begin to move in that direction and we can ask for him to help us. Little by little, we do the work of attempting to restore the relationship. And I will say this, because this is probably one of those what ifs. Depending on what level the relationship was prior to the wound, even when you attempt to reconcile, it may not be restored to what it was originally. Depending on the level of that relationship and the wound that was done, you may not get back to here, but you may be able to have some kind of agreement or some kind of way to reconcile. I know in my case, that's probably the best it will ever really be, is that it's we're reconciled, but not to where it was before. And I just ask that the Lord would help me not to harbor bitterness, anger, or anything in all of that. 
I'm just going to continue to purpose in my heart to take steps to, we'll say, renew the relationship, that it looks different than it once did. I'm going to move forward in forgiveness with the Lord's help, desiring that he would change my heart so that I am able to forgive them as God has forgiven me. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come to the platform at this time. And as we wrap up this morning, I urge you to consider Jesus' call to forgive others. It can be hard and painful work to do. Each of us, I think 100% of us in the room could say that we have had some kind of wound inflicted on us by others. Some that are very deep and they are very raw and they are, in a sense, that's all we can think about right now. But I am here to say that it can be done with the Lord's help and it is a process. We'll call it the dial on your light as you turn on the lights rather than a full switch. You can't just turn on forgiveness most times, but there can be incremental adjustments that can begin to happen and help. But just think about God's forgiveness to you. Think about the price that was paid to take care of your sin debt. The blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has atoned for you and my sin. Then as you think about how you have been wounded, you can be reminded that the one who wounded you is a sinner just like you. That you and that person are co-humans, each on a level playing field. And from there, you can begin to forgive that person of their debt. Releasing the desire to revenge and at some point, even begin to will for their good. Just one more time, God's forgiveness of us should change our hearts so that we are able to forgive as he forgave us. Hopefully, we can be known as people who forgive and have mercy on our fellow people, just as God has forgiven and had mercy on us. Would you stand as we pray, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you as your children. And we can only say that because you have done such amazing things on our behalf. That you have made a way. Thank you for your incredible mercy that you have had on us. Thank you for having pity on us or forgiving our enormous sin debt. Thank you for making a way so that we could be restored to relationship with you and we now can be called sons and daughters of God. Lord, help us always to be mindful that you have done this. Help us to go and do likewise towards those who have sinned against us, who have wounded us and hurt us. Help us to have forgiveness in our hearts to others. And Lord, we thank you for your gentleness in that process. 
that you continue to lead us and you continue to guide us. You continue to show us ways that we can follow your example. And Lord, that we can know that you help us to forgive and that we can keep working through that forgiveness. So Lord, help us to continually take steps of forgiveness and to do what we can to restore or reconcile our relationships that have been wounded. Through it all, may we bring glory to your name and to your kingdom as we are seen as people who are filled with love and grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name.